Welcome to the Will and Aaron Show with William Kramer, my co-host Aaron Bontrager. We cover local sports, including the NIC and NLC conferences, plus teams in St. Joseph and Elkhart counties. We also cover college and pro sports. Today's show, we will recap high school football sectional championships and preview high school football regional matchups, recap some high school girls basketball, discuss college football, college basketball, NFL, MLB, and the NBA. So Aaron, we got a full slate for us today. Yes, got a lot to talk about. So let's talk uh, uh, first topic, high school football sectional recaps. Um, And let's start off with class 2A sectional 33. You had uh, Andran 59ers and the Bremen Lions. Now, Notre Dame recruit Drake Bowman, I'm sorry, Bowen ran for 130 yards and two touchdowns in the first half as Andran rolled past the host, Bremen, 56 to 13 uh, to win the class 2A sectional. Andran bottled up Lance Moser, and the Lions were just not able to get much going offensively. Bremen finishes their season 7-5. and five. Class 3A, sectional 26, Jimtown and Knox. Now, Aaron, I was at this game to watch my alma mater, uh, and I was impressed with Knox as a team. Their offensive line is big. They Their quarterback is elusive and shifty and quick, uh, and they've got two running backs. As uh, one is a freshman, and both of them have speed, and they're hard to tackle. And uh, Jimtown could not get a stop. Literally the entire first half, they did not stop. Not so, not scored every time they had a ball. Um, so the quarterback Cohen Watson, running back Mile McLaughlin, uh, they hurt the Jimmies uh, tremendously. Watson rushed. 13 times for 188 yards and scored three touchdowns. Um, McLaughlin scored two touchdowns uh, and rushed for 127 yards. Now, Jimtown did uh, score a few times. Uh, Bishop Williams had two touchdown runs, one a 50-yard scamper and another one a 60-yard run. Sam Garner of Jimtown also scored a touchdown, but they were not able to keep up with the Knox offense. And the Jimmies uh, end up losing this game and finish the season nine and three. It was forty-two to twenty-one was the final. Sectional seventeen, class four A. New Prairie had three first half interceptions, all of them leading to scores, and they took a forty-nine to fourteen commanding lead. Uh, it was a second half running clock to beat Hobart forty-nine. To 28. Noah Mangia had 20, 227 yards rushing, three touchdowns. Quarterback Marshall Kamisic rushed for 125 yards and two touchdowns while throwing two touchdown passes to juniors Matt Source and Reese Lipinski. So, congratulations to those sectional winners. Uh, New Prairie moves on to the regional. Uh, we're going to talk more about the Cougars later on. 
Yeah, it's uh, not very many close games there. Um, I'm going to look at the Class 4A Sectional 18. Try to get through this with the flu. So, uh, Northridge beat Northwood 34-17. to Man, the Raiders do it again. They pulled the upset. They repeat as sectional champs. And this game was not short on drama. The first quarter saw both teams' defenses stop each other. Uh, the Raiders only had four first downs. Panthers had only had one first down in the quarter. And, and the, the Raiders were driving at one point in the second drive of the quarter. But a bad snap led to a, a, kick, a field goal attempt, which Dylan Ritchie made from 35 yards out. And that was in the second quarter. The Raiders, kind of an interesting tactic. They didn't kick the ball to Nitro Tuggle. Which kind of reminded me of when uh, teams would do that to Devin Hester and the Bears. But eventually, Northwood would uh, counter that with accepting the penalty. So, like, Northridge would kick it out of bounds. And uh, early on in the game, Coach Andrews just took the penalty. But then later, he started declining the penalty, so they'd have to kick it again. It was kind of an interesting chess match. Uh, Both coaches had really good game plans, I thought. And they really used, they really kind of uh, used everything they had. Um, There were some questionable calls in this game, but I would say the Raiders benefited from them the most. The second quarter was a huge momentum swing for Northridge. The O-line, defensive line really outplayed the Panthers' fronts. And McLean Miller got into the game, which many thought he might not. He didn't start, but he made a house call at the 24-yard run in that second quarter. And then the Panthers would turn it over on downs on their next possession. So the Raiders' defense did a really good job early on, especially tackling Nitro Tuggle in open space. Brock Thompson had a nice pass breakup. And he would lead the Raiders with tackles on the night with six and a half. The Raiders would capitalize on their next possession with some nice Miller runs, and Kay Garrington would eventually find Jethro Hostetler for a seven-yard touchdown. This came after a questionable pass interference call on the Panthers, but uh, the Panthers would get some momentum. It was kind of their last-ditch effort of the half. They started at their 50 after another interesting call by the refs. Um, I guess they called off sides on Northridge as they were kicking off. Then they put the ball on the 50. I quite still don't understand it. I was listening to the, uh, or watching the Northwood stream of this. So they were kind of taken aback as well. But uh, during that last drive, they kicked a 50-yard field goal, Dominic DeFreitas, which just short of a school record um, set by the... Oh, I forget his name. He kicked at Notre Dame. Anyways, the third quarter started off really well for the Panthers. Another bad snap by the Raiders, and the Panthers recovered it inside Northridge territory. They would go on to convert two fourth downs, and Nitro Tuggle would score on a five-yard touchdown pass from Caden Lone. So an excellent start to the second half for Northwood. They really took it, took the momentum there. But the Raiders... Um, would drive down the field again, had another bad snap. So not a clean game for Northridge. They had multiple miscues like this. They had to settle for another field goal. 
Uh, Richie made it from 30 yards out. The fourth quarter saw the Panthers get an interception, and eventually Wes Yoder would find the end zone on a 13-yard touchdown run, which cut the game to three points at 20-17 to with less than eight minutes to go. The next Raider possession came down to a huge fourth and two on their own 42-yard line. And McCain Miller got it by a couple inches. It looked like the nose of the ball. Really huge play. And then later in the drive, Carrington finds Alex Eby on a 43-yard pass play on another third and 13 clutch clutch uh, play there. And they would continue their drive um, when Carrington found Hostetler for four yards out to help push the lead back up to 10 with a minute 43 to go. So that that was a back-breaking drive for the Northwood Panthers. Um, on the final Panthers drive, Cade Sines picks off the Northwood pass at the one-yard line, so the Panthers did get it down close. But Cade Sines comes up with a huge interception. And then the next, the very next play, Carrington would throw a swing pass across the field to Hostetler. And he took it for 99 yards for a touchdown run. Or a touchdown catch, I should say. Catch and run. Yeah, kind of put the game away. Carrington finished with 15 of 26 completions to, to attempts with 279 yards and three touchdowns. McLean Miller finished with 23 carries, 151 yards and a touchdown. And Jethro Hosteller had 10 receptions, 209 yards, and three touchdowns in this one. I feel like both teams, I kind of said this, had really good game plans. I think Northwood, they just couldn't get their passing game going. They had open people, but especially in the first half, they just couldn't execute. Uh, the Raiders came up clutch when they needed to. They had the full platoon of players. Northwood did not. But the game, I feel like, was one up front, short in the total yards, 475 to 252. A great season ends for the Panthers. A season with some what-ifs now that what happened a few weeks ago. I really wondered as I watched this game if they ran out of gas after the emotional week before. It looked like they got outplayed for most of the game, especially that first half. And they just they just didn't start off on the right foot. Wow, what a win for the Northridge Raiders. Uh, Aaron, I know you watch this game. Do you, I'm just curious your thoughts on this. Do you think Northridge won this game or that Northwood more or less lost this game? You know, I think I think Northridge won it. They just won it from being the mentality. They were more aggressive, more physical up front. I think that's what really they kind of imposed their will, and that was the difference. You know, this is another shocking uh, result. Uh, Northridge, the last few years, have really surprised me in the postseason. Uh, how dominant Northwood was all season. I was like, I was thinking, there's no way. Even with some of their lost, uh, lost personnel, I thought that Northwood had enough to to win this game. Yeah. But credit the Raiders, credit the Northridge football team, their, their staff, and, and the players for showing what they have. And, and, and they've got a great team is what they have. It was quite the game when they, they cut it to three. I was getting a little nervous as a Raiders fan. <laughs> you know, uh, that... 
when Northwood got to the one yard line, how were you feeling at that point? I was getting a little a little worried, like you were saying. I think I might have I might have felt differently if they had their full group of guys. Yeah, it was just it was a quite the game. It was a little closer than maybe the score indicates. Well, what a swing that was. The interception and then very nice play, a 99-yard touchdown pass. So yeah. uh, that probably was the uh, uh, the uh, kill, a killer for the Panthers. Here. Yeah. And then in the 5A, Section 11, Mishawaka cruises 38-17. They get another sectional title. They really dominated this game. I was kind of watching this one a little bit too. Not as closely because it kind of got out of hand early. They might have played their most complete game in this one, um, especially in the first half. Every time I looked over, they were scoring a touchdown. The second play of the game was a Mishawaka passing play. Yes, another big passing play to start the game. Feels like I've seen this or read about it. They're putting in those wrinkles here in the playoffs. Uh, Brady Fisher found Ethan Bryce down the sideline wide open for a 53-yard pitch and catch. Seems like the cavemen really uh, exploited some of the Concord DBs as they were creeping in to try to stop the run, of course. And then Fisher would take it himself for a 29-yard touchdown run that same drive. The Minutemen would respond with, with what appeared to be a nice drive, but it ended in a crazy strip, and Aiden Hooten grabbed it out of the air and ran it back for a touchdown. The Minutemen would get on the board with a 25-yard Miguel Aguilar field goal eventually. Um, the second quarter, the Cayman would throw some haymakers and score on three straight possessions. Chase Goodwin started off with a touchdown run. Then Fisher would find receiver David Troyer on a 20-yard touchdown pass. And then on a fourth down play, Fisher found Ch- Chaz Hardy on a 12-yard pass play as well. The Minutemen didn't quit, give them credit, they, but they, did, they couldn't overcome that 38-3 halftime deficit. Concord would score 14 points in the second half. Uh, Hudson Glance found Javion Shepard on a 3-yard pass, and then Glance would have a nice touchdown run, 44 yards, but all came in, and they move on. Wow, what a what a performance by the cavemen, and uh, playing really well when it matters most. Yeah, definitely. And then the 6A sectional two, Fort Wayne Carroll beats Warsaw 34-17. Man, Warsaw really couldn't hang on to the ball in this one. They had four turnovers. I think three of them were fumbles. One of them might have been a turnover on downs. But, yeah, which can't happen against a team like Carroll. You know, they're explosive, undefeated for a reason. They hung with them for a half. Solid game plan. I was kind of listening to a little bit of the uh, Carroll stream. It sounded like the Tigers were really exploiting the C-gap between the guards and tackles. Um. They were on offense, get this, 23 of the first 31 minutes. That was according to the Warsaw Times Union. And like I said, they were only down 13 to 10 at half, but charges were just too much. They took a 7 nothing lead at the end of the first. So Flores Ortega would score the only touchdown in the half for the Tigers. Um, and then 
Smythe added the field goal with about a, a minute 40 left before half. And then the open the second half, Warsaw had a seven-minute drive and another fumble recovered by Carroll at their own 15-yard line. And that's when Breed and Steely scored on the next possession on a five-yard touchdown run. And Carroll kind of built their lead at 20-10 to 10 near the end of the third. The Tigers would respond, but the Chargers recovered a fumble on their own 22-yard line again. Steely would score on another 24-yard run. To build a cushion for Carroll at 27-10. Warsaw would get one more big play out of Hayden Rodriguez. Who took a pitch 84 yards to the house. And Carroll would answer back on a 69-yard touchdown run from Nathan Starks. With less than three minutes to play. You know, something I missed in the preview last week. Is that Carroll beat Warsaw last year in the sectionals 36-0. Uh, the Tigers did close the gap this time around, but their season ends. Turnovers really cost them. You know, Coach Curtis adds another solid season to his Hall of Fame resume. And I think they'll be a team to watch out for next year, like always. Well, I, I you, yeah, you got to feel for Warsaw knowing that uh, how close you were. Uh, and it's just it, it's a t- it's tough feeling when you, you lose and you don't play your best. It's one thing if you play your best and you lost, but having the, those four turnovers, I know will haunt the Tigers this offseason. Um, but give credit to, to Carroll. Uh, they're a solid team. Uh, I, I think they could probably make it to the semi-state, probably will lose to, to Westfield. Uh, but uh, they're really making it exciting for the Fort, Fort Wayne area and, and for the Carroll Chargers. Yeah, no doubt. So, before we pick, I guess we have two regional games here. Uh, just to update our prediction records, Will's at 35-7, and seven and I'm sitting at 39-4. and four, So, another solid week for us. I got, got lucky on some upset picks with Northridge, but let's start with the Fort Wayne, number one Fort Wayne Snyder, the 5A regional. They're coming to Mishawaka, take on number four, Mishawaka, who's 10-1 and one as well. And Snyder is a state powerhouse. I was kind of digging into their history. Looks like they've won the 75% of their games in the postseason. They've won state titles in 5A and 92, and more recently in 2015. They obviously should be the favorite, with good reason, being a Fort Wayne team, being number one in the state right now. If you look at their games this year, their closest games came in week one win over Fort Wayne North, 28-18. And then they just beat them to move to the regional uh, last week, 25-21 um, in the sectional 12 final. Their only loss came to f- number 5-6A Carroll Chargers in week two. And Snyder on the season averages just shy of 38 points a game. And only gives up on average just under 10 points a game. And the Panthers have a dangerous receiver and returner in Kamari Juarez. He will have to be keyed on for the cavemen. To, that's probably part of their game plan is to know where the, he is at on the field. And then the Panthers have, or yeah, the North, the Snyder Panthers have an accurate quarterback as well in senior Luke Hopper. He has 13 touchdown passes to only two picks. 
And their senior senior running back, Langston Level, averages about 79 yards a game on the ground. I was watching some of his highlights on Max Preps. He seems like a bigger back. He's got a little bit of size and speed, a little burst to his game. And junior Lucas Rohrbacher, sounds like a good linebacker name. He plays middle linebacker, leads the Panthers defense with about nine tackles a game. All those stats according to Max Preps, so... He looks like a, a backer who can rush the pass and uh, uh, cover the deep field to cover the wide receivers and passing stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the Snyder team looks pretty impressive with the stats and what what they have on their their highlights stuff. So, And they have a coach who's a state champion, Kurt Tipman. Hasn't had a losing season in 14 years of coaching. He has 11 sectional titles, five regional titles, two semi-state appearances in that state title, like I mentioned in 2015. He and his staff will have to prepare for Caveman's triple option attack. This is a type of offense that isn't always easy to prepare for. can cause some issues of players sticking to gap assignments. Mishwalk has been on, the, on a roll since their loss in Northwood. They are scoring on average 30 points a game and give up on average just under 14. Coach Kinder and his staff are dialing up some pass plays, which adds a wrinkle to their game plan. The defensive line and offensive line have played exceptional all year. They can do the same in this one. I really think they could surprise the Snyder team. I mean, Mishawaka is going to have to finish off drives. They're going to have to be really effective on third down as well. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick Mishawak. I'm gonna go against what what it says on paper. Um, I like the momentum the Cavemen have. I like their linemen. I like that they're at home. I think it's gonna be colder this week, so that could af- this weekend it could affect the passing game. I mean, it is Indiana weather, so who knows? It could be another seventy degree weekend. We'll see. But I think Coach Kinder pulls the upset, gets a second regional title, and a thrilling win. Well, that's an interesting pick, Aaron. You know, my heart says Mishawaka. Uh, I've known Coach Kinder since the days at Jimtown. But my mind, my brain says Portman Snyder. So I'm having this internal conflict here. <laughs> uh, I agree that this should be a good game. Uh, whether it will probably play a role. Uh, but both teams primarily run the ball. Obviously, Mitch Walker a heavy run. But uh, um, Snyder, uh, historically, is more of a passing team. But uh, this year, they're more heavy run. Um, so, Snyder, uh, I like Snyder's athletes. Um, and uh, Mitch Walker hasn't played anyone this year like Snyder. And you could argue that Snyder hasn't faced many teams like Mishawaka this season. So this would be kind of a newer matchup. When you get into the regional, you typically have teams that play clean football with few mistakes. And I'm going to go with Fort Wayne Snyder. I think the top two to three teams in Fort Wayne are better than their top two to three teams in this area. Hopefully I'm wrong, but I'm going to have to go with my gut. And it feels... Aaron, it feels like Snyder's probably the better team in this matchup, and I'm gonna go with the important Snyder. Yeah, I could I could see why you'd think that. That's good. It should be a I'm looking forward to that matchup. And then the only other area or 
teams in our area that we cover is the 4A Regional Northridge 8 and 4 travels to number 6 New Prairie who's 11 and 1 we've talked a lot about these teams on our show so you know this is another postseason rematch from last year except this one is for a regional title not a semi-state title Northridge won as the underdog last year 20 to 14 at New Prairie as well and uh, they're coming in with a lot of momentum again, a lot of confidence after beating Northwood. Both teams have played four common opponents in Goshen, Adams, Riley, and Elkhart. The Cougars won all those games, while the Raiders went 3-1, and one, uh, the loss being to Elkhart. So we talked about that impressive Cougar win against Elkhart, and this new Prairie team is rolling. I mean... They're outscoring teams. They're winning pretty easily in the sectional. They scored more than 40 points each time. But I'm going to go in another NLC upset. I'm going to pick my Raiders. Uh, my alma mater, again, I know this is probably a silly pick, but I think they're going to play their best game of the year. Because they did I mean, they played well against Northwood, but I don't think it was their best game. And, uh, yeah, I could be wrong on that. Well, let's hope you're not wrong. Uh, for, just for the sake of you and your alma mater uh, and keep this magical postseason run going for you. Um, you know, as Aaron, it's hard to believe, I was looking this up uh, before the show, um, it's hard to believe that Northridge started the year one and three. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But since then, they've rattled off seven wins to just one loss. Uh, now, New Prairie, is, as you mentioned, they're playing at a high level. I, I've been so impressed with New Prairie. Uh, their line of scrimmage, in particular, I've been impressed with. And I just, I, I'm going to have to go against your Northridge Raiders here. I feel like the New Prairie line is going to wear them down. New Prairie has an excellent strength and conditioning program, uh, and it shows in their physicality. I think this is a very physical team. Not to say that Northridge is not a physical team, but I think this New Prairie team this year is just a very physical team. It's going to be a tough game for the Raiders with uh, with how physical this game probably is going to play out, especially in the trenches. Uh, and I just think the Cougars are going to remember what happened to them last year at home, yeah. and uh, that's going to be motivation for them. I have New Prairie, unfortunately, beating your Northridge Raiders. Yeah, I mean this that could easily happen. It's hard to it's hard to beat these schools two years in a row for sure. So but, uh, we both are picking these games. If uh, we yeah. both picked out the team, so I could be <laughs> theoret- I could be thirty seven and seven, and you end up being thirty nine and six, or you could be forty one and four, and I could be thirty five and nine. So either way, <laughs> it should be an interesting couple ball games here absolutely so let's this is a good time to take our first break and when we return we'll talk more local college and pro sports you can listen to the will and aaron show podcast on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts amazon music follow us on twitter at will aaron show you can follow the will and aaron show facebook page where you can interact by commenting liking sharing and reviewing our podcast. Welcome back to the Will and Aaron Show, where we talk about local college and pro sports. Uh, topic number three, Aaron. Can you believe it? Indiana High School girls basketball has already started. 
And we've got... It's hard to believe. Yes, right. We have three local teams that are ranked in 2, 3, and 4A. So let's start with Class 2A, where you have the fourth-ranked Fairfield Falcons. They're already 2-0, and they've got wins against Jimtown and Northfield. And then in Class 3A, uh, Mishawaka Mary, who's ranked number one, uh, they are 2-0 right now. They have wins against Bremen and Mishawaka. Both of those wins were, were pretty pretty easy wins for the, the Knights there. And then in Class 4A, of course, everybody knows, number two ranked South Bend Washington Panthers are 2-0. Uh, they Their most recent win was against Class 4A, number six, Lake Central. And they won fairly soundly 51 to 35. So can anyone yeah, sorry. Can anyone compete with Washington? Is there any team? Uh not in this area, no. Uh uh but when you start thinking about the indie schools, uh that's where I think they'll face stiffer competition. But that's down the road. Uh yeah. you're talking about uh Amaya Reynolds who's committed to Maryland University as a senior. You have Rashana Jones, who's committed to play at Purdue University uh, as a senior. Uh, 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 you have Kira Reynolds, who's getting Division One looks all over the country. Um, and you have a, another guard who's extremely athletic and uh, just a fierce competitor uh, and a couple other uh, players that are fairly solid. So uh, this team is rock solid, and I don't see – uh, they, I think they have a couple of games outside of this area, like in Michigan, and, and um, where they'll they'll face uh, good competition. But uh, they sh- should roll through their uh, schedule. Uh, yeah. For for the area teams uh, for this year. Okay, uh, so we're gonna keep tabs on the girls uh, basketball throughout. Uh, the the season. I'm looking forward to cover covering that, Eric. Yeah, it should be fun. So let's move on to topic number four, college football. And we have Notre Dame and Clemson. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> uh, I, I was so happy to watch this game. <laughs> Notre Dame, 35, Clemson, 14. Yes, that's the correct score. 35-14, the Irish with the win. Notre Dame scored on offense, special teams, and defense. Uh, so they found all sorts of ways to find the end zone. The Irish had over 250 yards rushing and completely dominated Clemson's defensive front, which has several future NFL players uh, on there. Logan Diggs and Otter Estime each had over 100 yards rushing for the second straight game. And on a windy day, uh, Drew Pine only attempted 17 passes for 85 yards, but that was efficient enough uh, to keep the Clemson defense honest. And he rushed for a, a touchdown himself, and he threw one touchdown to none other than Michael Mayer. Notre Dame jumped out to a 28-0 lead. Clemson scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter when the game was all but decided. So... What a win for Notre Dame. Yeah, that was a crazy win. 
So Penn State 45, Indiana 14. Penn State's Drew Aller replaced Sean Clifford at quarterback uh, and threw two touchdowns. Catron Allen rushed for three touchdowns. Indiana's quarterback Jack Tuttle was injured in the first half, did not return. IU went with true freshman Brendan Sorby, but he threw an interception and he was replaced with Dexter Williams II. Indiana's season continues to spiral out of control. And Aaron, they still have to face Ohio State, Michigan State, <laughs> Purdue. So it's not going to get much easier. Do you think Tom Allen's seat's getting warmer? You know, uh, I saw an article about South Florida's position being open. And I know he's got some connections in oh, Florida. Yeah. And the local people had Tom Allen as one of the potential candidates for the South Florida job. I have not heard any rumblings about Tom Allen's hot seeking hot, uh, but this has just been a down year, and uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll see what he does next year. We'll have to see. Yeah, something to keep keep our eyes on. And Purdue comes up uh, small, I guess is what you could say. Iowa beats them twenty four to three in West Lafayette. Running back Caleb Johnson helped the Hawkeyes get the huge win here. He's a freshman, had 22 carries, 200 yards, and a big 75-yard touchdown run. This is the Hawkeyes' first 200-yard rusher since 2015, and their the Hawkeyes' quarterback uh, Spencer Spencer Patris, I think, had a solid day with two touchdown passes as well. And Purdue's Aiden O'Connell struggled to find any momentum against. The Hawkeyes, solid defense. He was under 50% with uh, passing accuracy. He did have two touchdowns. No, he didn't have two touchdowns. Two interceptions, I think, is what I meant in my notebook here. Uh, Purdue's shot at a Big Ten West title took a major blow today. Well, and I also heard uh, there, you know, the Boilermaker special, the train stalled on the field before the game. Nothing like foreshadowing for the Boilermakers offense in this one. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, if you're a Purdue fan, uh, which I'm not, but if you are, <laughs> Purdue, it looked like a couple of weeks ago that Purdue was sitting pretty getting to the Big Ten championship game. But, wow, what uh, what a turn of events last few weeks. Um, and they're going to need a lot of help from Illinois yeah. and to, to get there. But, um it's just unfortunate because it seemed like uh, after last year's uh, bowl win against Tennessee uh, and the start they had that Purdue had something going there. But I think a lot of it started with that Syracuse loss. That was such a stunner when they, they lost at the end of the game there, that long pass. Uh, that was such a blow. Uh, but I expected them to recover from that. They, they just haven't. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I forgot about that. And let's turn to topic five. We're going to talk a little NAIA college basketball. I want to start with uh, IUSB. Um, the Titans currently are at 2-2. Two and two. They had a nice showing against Goshen College where uh, five players scored in double figures. IUSB was ranked number 19 in the NAIA preseason polls. You know, they had a great turnaround season under Coach Scott Cooper. Uh, this is his ninth season. Leading the Titans, 
Last year they finished twenty five and seven overall, nineteen and three, which made them the second best team in the CCAC conference behind Olivet Nazarene. They also earned an eight seed in the NAIA tournament and lost to Kansas Westland in the opening round. So Coach Cooper has some key guys back on his squad, led by senior guard Danielle Meredith II. He's the top returning scorer. He also has senior forward Miles Tracy, who's kind of like their do-it-all, stuffs the stat sheet type of player. And junior guard Micah Poole, who's their three-point sniper. Yeah, so they and they also brought in uh, former Riley Wildcats, uh, Dejon Barney, who's a junior uh, forward. So yeah, the Titans team to watch out for this season. I know that um, they had a tough couple losses here to start the season, but I think it should be interesting to see what happens after that. You know that big season last year. Uh, sorry to interrupt there. No, um, you know, a funny story is uh, you and I both taught at Dickinson Fine Arts Academy. Uh, Dejon Barney attended Dickinson Fine Arts Academy when we were there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it's neat to see him uh, do so well and, and do something for, with his life. So, Dejon, if you're listening, cool. keep it up. We're proud of you. Oh, that's excellent. And now we turn to Goshen College. Um, the Maple Leafs have a first-year coach in Kyle Caps, and they just got their first win of the season, his first win against Holy Cross. In that game, five Maple Leaf players scored in double figures. So Goshen College is currently 1-2 and two on the year. Next up for them is a trip to Richmond, Indiana, to take on a pretty good IU East Red Wolves team. Uh, the Maple Leafs, you know, they've had a really rough stretch as a program. Their current overall record in the 2020s has been 10 and 47. So Caps, Coach Caps is looking to leave his mark on this program, kind of in a rebuild mode, I would assume, being his first year. So let's move uh, on. To, we're staying in the Crossroads League here, but we're moving on to our Bethel University Pilots. Bethel is 3-0 so far. They uh, recently beat 19th-ranked IUSB, 98-78. The Pilots are led by Shakira Tanaka, uh, who's from Japan, uh, with 22 points per game. And Drew Lutz, a former Penn grad and incarnate word transfer, with 20 points per game. Uh, Drew Lutz is shooting 60% from three, Aaron. So he's, uh, yeah, uh, fire. That's what that is. Uh, Coach Draven is in his third season and has a lot of new pieces to this year's team. Uh, I was able to spend uh, a day with him this past uh, this summer. He's very excited with his uh, new new club, um, and they're off to a good start. Bethel faces two ranked teams in the next three games as they face 22nd-ranked Oregon Tech and number 7th-ranked William Penn from Iowa. So, Aaron, we're going to figure out a lot about this Pilots basketball team real soon. Let's turn our attention now to Division One local basketball, where we're going to talk about Notre Dame and uh, Dane Goodwin led Notre Dame with 21 points against Xavier, Louisiana, in their exhibition game. Uh, and the Irish opened the season at home on November 10th against Radford. Uh, so I was looking at the ACC preseason previews. 
uh, and they had a lot of good things to say about this Notre Dame team. Obviously, with Coach Bray, the veteran coach there, uh, I'll be interested yeah. to see what the Irish can do this season. They lost a lot of guys from last year's team, so this is going to be a, uh, how can they build that chemistry? You know, what's their offense going to look like, and how can they defend? So Purdue uh, has several in-state players that will contribute to this year's team. I'm going to mention a couple of them here. Mason Gillis from Newcastle, Caleb First, Homestead, former IU recruit Trey Kaufman uh, Wren from Silver Creek, Brandon Newman from Valparaiso, Fletcher, or yeah, Fletcher Lawyer from Homestead, uh, among other in-state players. They're going to all battle for minutes this season. Purdue plays undefeated Milwaukee on November 8th, where the Boilers are a 27-point favorite. So uh, the season is coming up. Uh, a lot of exciting uh, uh, times for uh, these teams we just talked about. Yeah. And then we turn to Indiana, the Hoosiers. A lot of buzz around uh, them to start the season. They are number 13 in the AP preseason poll. Uh, the Big Ten media projects them to win the conference title which is a little scary as a Hoosier fan. I, I hope they live up to those expectations. And Trace Jackson Davis is the Big Ten preseason player of the year. First Hoosier to have that honor since Cody Zeller in the 2012-2013 season. And yeah, well, a lot of fans excited to see what the two freshmen can bring to this team. Uh, guard Jalen hood Shafino, the highest rated uh, Big Ten incoming freshman, and then forward... Malik Renew, they're kind of turning heads in the offseason, and the two exhibition games, they really look solid. And Jalen is also in the starting lineup for Coach Woodson. The the Hoosiers beat a couple of the NAIA schools that we are familiar with in St. Francis and Marion. Uh, They both look really solid in those games, but it will be exciting to see them against the top-level talent in the Big Ten and some of the other Blue Blood programs. So the Hoosiers opened tonight as we're recording against Moorhead State out of Kentucky. That's a team that went 23-11 and last year, 13-5 and in the Ohio Valley Conference. At the time of recording, they beat the Eagles 88-53. So off to a good start. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we're back, um, we're going to talk some NFL. If you are enjoying our podcast and want to donate, please find the donation link in our show notes. Any donation, no matter how small, will make a big difference in helping us bring you better quality podcast shows. Welcome back to the Will and Air Show, where we talk about local college and pro sports. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts, you know, it was a long day for the Colts offense as they did not score a touchdown against a subpar New England defense. It is the Colts' worst offensive production in the past 25 years. So that says a lot right there. The Patriots were able to sack uh, Sam Ellinger nine times. Sam had one interception. Uh, special teams had a pump block and a field goal miss. Uh, the Colts' defense did keep the... Uh, game close in the first half, but the New England Patriots eventually pulled away in the second half thanks to four field goals by the veteran kicker Nick Folk. Uh, there were a combined 15 punts in this game, so not the most exotic game uh, for offense. Um, but if you like defense, it's 
definitely the game for me. Uh, New, New England won 26-3. Now, uh, Aaron, it's been a whirlwind past few weeks for the Colts organization. They benched veteran quarterback Matt Ryan a couple weeks ago. Last week, they fired offensive coordinator Marcus Brady. And um, today, as of the recording, uh, news broke out that Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, fired Frank Wright, who went 40-33-1 and as a Colts head coach in his four-and-a-half seasons. <clears throat> he finished second in the division three times and went one and two in the postseason. Uh, Wright is essentially the scapegoat for the revolving quarterback door that's been going on for the last few seasons <clears throat> for the Colts. Per CBS Sports, the GM Chris Ballard's job is in uh, up in the air right now. So that's not secure. Uh, Jerem Erze did announce that Jeff Saturday, uh, a six-time Pro Bowler who played 13 seasons for the Colts, uh, has spent um, uh, the last few years as a consultant for the Colts. Um, he is going to serve as the uh, interim head coach. Uh and he's got no professional coaching experience in the NFL or college ranks. Um, and since he retired, uh, he's been the head football coach uh, at Hebron Christian Academy, which is a high school in uh, Georgia, where he's been 20 and 16 in three seasons. So interesting move there to uh, have Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach. Uh, now, I did read an article about the potential head coaching candidates and some of the names floating around are Philadelphia's offensive coordinator Shane uh, Stichon, Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, San Francisco defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryan, Michigan's Jim Harbaugh, Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, among some other names. Do any of those names intrigue you as a Colts fan? Um, I I. I'm I'm interested in the uh Phillies offensive coordinator just because uh what yeah. he's been doing uh at Philadelphia. I mean we've already used that pipeline once. I'm I'm not sure we might as well do it again. <laughs> um I don't think Michigan Jim Harbaugh is uh it doesn't really entice me that much. Uh I don't see him moving away from Michigan, especially what he's building there now. Um, I'm kind of interested in Kellen Moore. He's a younger guy, uh, Boise State uh, product, uh, but he's been turning heads in Dallas and, and has uh, produced offensively uh, for the Cowboys. So that might be a name to look out for. But uh, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how this pans out, Aaron. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's take a look at the Bears. So before we get to the game against the Dolphins, I, I forgot to mention some of the – transactions they made um uh gm ryan poles had a really busy uh trade deadline he traded veteran pass rusher robert quinn to the eagles for a fourth round pick then i think it was a week about a week later a couple days later he traded roquan smith to the ravens for a 2020 or 2023 second round pick and a fourth round pick and then linebacker aj klein and then just more recently, they traded for uh, former Irish receiver and former Steelers receiver Chase Claypool 
for their own second round pick. So they've been wheeling and dealing here. I've been listening to some other experts and podcasts talking about how maybe this is signaling that Poles believes in uh, Justin Fields as their franchise quarterback. Obviously, he didn't draft Fields, but so yeah, they've been hopefully stockpiling some picks here to find their skilled players and some blue chip offensive linemen, maybe. So I think it's me personally as not I'm not not a diehard Bears fan, but it's probably a good sign that they're tearing down a little bit. See what you can get through the draft. And now to the game, they just uh, lost to the Dolphins, 35-32. I think most reasonable people would say that there was a missed pass interference call on the Dolphins late in this one, which kind of not a good way to end the game. Um, even though they didn't get the win, Justin Fields kind of stole the headlines in this one on his record-setting game. He broke Michael Vick's rushing yards in the regular season game by a quarterback, so... I believe Vic had it at 173 yards, and Fields ran for 178 yards in this game. He also broke a Bears record in this one for a quarterback touchdown run. He has the longest now at 61 yards. Probably not a probably beat that pretty easily. I'm assuming. Um, also, former Irish tight end Cole Komet had a really nice game. It's kind of trending up. Had a two touchdown passes or catches, I should say. He caught two touchdown passes in this one. If you're a Bears fan, I think even though you're not getting the wins, it's kind of exciting to see Fields grow each week. And obviously, he still has some work to do with his work in the pocket. But yeah. And then if we turn to Week Nine, look at some of the look at the Bears and Colts games. So on Sunday. At 1 o'clock on Fox, the 2-6 and six Detroit Lions visit Soldier Field to take on the 3-6 and six Bears. Chicago is the three-point favorite at 4.05 on CBS. The 3-5-1 Colts visit the 2-6 and six Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are a six-point favorite. Sam Ellinger and the Colts offense will look to get on track against the Raiders. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is out for the Colts, so the Colts defense will be facing another veteran quarterback and Derek Carr. Uh, now let's turn to some NBA, focusing on the Bulls and Pacers here. Man, it's crazy times, troubling times for the NBA with a lot of off-the-court issues. It's kind of sad because there are some good stories on the court. Um, they'll get overshadowed. They have been overshadowed these past few weeks and in the coming weeks. But I want to focus more on the Central Division. So the Bulls are sitting at 5-5 five and five in the seventh spot of the Eastern standings. Uh, Zach Levine had a pretty crazy uh, game against the Nets on Tuesday night. Last Tuesday, he single-handedly outscored them in the fourth quarter, 20-19. Uh, then the Bulls were led by the bench mob in a win over the struggling Hornets. Uh, I think that was a couple nights later. And on Friday night, they uh, went against Boston again. Uh, Jason Tatum led his team to a win despite DeMar DeRozan scoring 46. So, yeah, DeMar DeRozan's looking stellar again this year. The Pacers, on the other hand, I guess kind of a similar situation. They're 4-5 and five as far as record. 
So they're now in the eighth spot uh, as of last or as, as of Sunday. A little drama amongst Pacer fans. I think this kind of got overlooked. Um, Senator Miles Turner went on Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast, The Woj Pod, and it was kind of an awkward interview in some ways. Uh, Woj asked him, should the Lakers trade for him? And it was it was just kind of weird because it felt like a sales pitch in a, in a way. So I don't know. That's my initial thought as a Pacers fan, but it sounds like Turner's, you know, he's just trying to sell himself in a good way. And he's also, I think he's being a good teammate still too. So it's not like it's drama, but it's just kind of interesting. Uh, other notes, Pacer notes I have, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, top five in assists. He's also averaging 20 points a game, looking like an all-star, which is great news for Pacer fans. Uh, some kind of ba- some bittersweet news, Chris Duarte, the second-year guard out of Oregon, had a nice 30-point game against the Nets, but then he got hurt on Friday night against Miami. Uh, ankle sprain, he'll be out four to six weeks. Um, the Pacers got their best win of the year so far against the Heat. Four players scored in double figures, led by Buddy Heald. Another players in a lot of trade talks. So he's performing pretty well, shooting the three ball really well. Uh, as of this recording, they are they're playing the Pelicans. Um, and then the last topic we have for this show, um, it's kind of a short one this week, the 5-7-4 in the NBA. Nothing really standing out. Obviously, Wesley's hurt. Kennedy is uh, his G League season starts a couple days. Uh, Ivy continues. Jaden Ivy, on the other hand, continues to start for the struggling Pistons. He's having a good year, though. I mean, he's kind of in that top five rookie right now, I believe. But the Pistons are struggling. They're two and eight. They're in the fourteenth, fifteenth spot in the East standings. So, yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes on the other guys from the 574. That wraps up our show. Thanks for listening to the Will and Aaron Show. Tune in next week as we discuss more local college and pro sports.